Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinda Kandola and Will Dalton. How are you doing today, guys? Good, thank you. Very good, thanks. Good, good. All right, then, news. So let's go first with Jatinda this week. Do you want to go ahead, mate? Yeah, I just wanted to tell everybody, if you haven't already seen the news, that Windows 11, the latest version of Microsoft's OS, has been launched and is available. It's actually available as a free upgrade for anyone that's already on Windows 10, but you'll need to check your kind of minimum system requirements before plunging into that. It's also obvious and advised by Gartner to probably wait a little while and see how people use it and what we learn about it before actually switching over to it. But it's out there. Windows, Microsoft are trying to kind of promote it and get everybody to start to embrace it. There's a few very kind of different things in terms of how it's set up. You'll find that there is a more centralized start button and it's a bit more Apple-esque in the sense that it's in the center of the screen curved edges on some of the shapes that are used on it. However, they've tried to keep the usability of it fairly similar to what Windows 10 is. And that's probably about as much as I want to say, because I don't want to turn this into an advert for it. (laughs) You don't want to spoil the fun. (laughs) Two things I'm going to say about that. I was expecting more than yeah, two. Yeah, I could hear the wheels in oh, Will's yeah. brain spinning. I can only when you say said... to, I've got a million, but I'm going to say two. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Windows 10, I thought they were just ditching the whole number increment thing and it was just going to be a continuous, continuous integration update of Windows. Oh, that's so interesting. That's, that's, mm-hmm. And then, that's a good point. I think Windows is going into the cloud. I think they're going to offer it as a service like they do with Office 365 and all their Office Mm. suite. I think they're going to move it. So it'd be interesting to know how many of their services within Windows are actually hosted on the cloud, which you consume. Mm. Because if you notice a lot of stuff on Windows 10 is, especially around user management, you go, you pop off to to a cloud service or or a website that's hosted, hosted on the cloud, you know, Microsoft accounts and things like that and manage it that way. So that would be an interesting take. I I knew there was a reason that I, you know, we allowed you to work for this company, Will. So yes, they are actually doing that at the moment. <laughs> it's a I've, it's an I've been <laughs> I've been bumping into that actually recently in my project work. So Windows three six five, it's called. And effectively, if you've got a a Microsoft three six five tenant, you know how they rebranded uh, Office three six five to Microsoft three six five recently. Well, mm. it turns out I think one of the major reasons they did it is because Windows three six five, which is effectively a Windows virtual desktop solution, but through your what was your Office 365 tenant rather than serve from Azure as a, as a sort of virtual machine. I'm getting very nerdy here. Basically, yeah, cloud-based Windows is, is a thing and it's already in test. And I'm potentially mm-hmm. going to be using it as part of my solution in, in the thing that I'm working Windows on at the moment. 365. So, Windows, Windows 365. Windows 365, it's called. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically it cloudy cloudy Windows desktop. But but not done in the way that old-fashioned remote desktop is done. Done in a slightly mm. different way. I won't go into it's too like much. It's like Chrome OS, isn't it? Chrome OS. A little bit, but not as kind of browser-constrained as Chrome OS yeah. is. Which I um, it, it is actually a proper desktop. But yeah, no, so that's definitely coming. So cool. I agree with you. Cool. One thing uh, probably worth me just adding to the announcement is that Windows 10 will continue to be supported and receive security updates until October 2025. Okay. Yeah, there's also a whole controversy around this, isn't there, in the sense that it's incompatible with a lot of Windows 11. This is is not compatible with a lot of 
slightly older machines than you would normally yeah. expect. So there's basically huge swathes of people's hardware estate, their desktop hardware and types of AMD processors and all sorts it doesn't work with. So it's uh, mm. attracted a bit of flack, hasn't it? Adding to the global microchip shortage problem, I guess. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, lots of computers <laughs> getting binned. Cool. Will, did you want to go next with your news story? Uh-huh. So you can now ditch the password on your Microsoft accounts, uh, an article by Wired. Although, to be honest, is a continuation of what Microsoft did a few months back with their server services. So I hate passwords. And I think the only people that actually like passwords are those people that break into computers to... <laughs> steal information the only people who like passwords are people who have other people's <laughs> I, you don't know how long I've, I've waited for passwordless to happen I've been uh, playing with you know password management apps where they try and sync all your thousands of different username and passwords which never really never really worked for, for, for me and have you ever tried to enter a password using your remote TV remote control yeah, and you're awful. trying to log yeah. on to Netflix. I mean, slightly worried about what you were going to say there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yes, joy of joys, you, you joy of joys. <laughs> you can now, you can now ditch them because Microsoft announced a, a, a password-free feature that it's going to offer to its to its customers. Um, they've been doing it for business customers for a while now, so uh, so they can do it. All you need is a uh, an authenticator app which I'm sure we all have, and a simple configuration setting on your Microsoft account. And then you basically, you will authenticate using your Authenticator app. So, you know, you get, you know, with Authenticate, you get, if you're trying to log on to some services, you get a little pop-up that says, do you want to allow this person to log on? And you just authenticate. And if you've got your, if you've got your fingerprint enabled or some, whatever biometric you're doing, you can just use that and on you go. So they can do a similar thing for Windows and for Office 365 for, for, for all customers. Now. So that's good. Isn't that just making two-factor authentication back into one-factor authentication? <laughs> Alter, basically, yes. It's, it's But it's the authenticator app code rather than some stupid exactly. thing you've got in your They're head. They just ditch it. Exactly. They ditch it because actually... There is a, it may be from Gartner. <laughs> oh, Lord, here we go. <laughs> Actually, there's not a lot of, you don't gain a lot of risk mitigation in terms of authentication with, with a password and another factor. All the strength, all the risk mitigation yeah, is actually all the risk in, mitigation is in the randomized factor. app thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so yeah. Why, remember, why remember a password? And the only yeah. time you can remember a password is when the password is useless. Do you know what I mean? Pretty as much. soon as you put some really strong password in, you just can't remember it. So, you know, the whole process has been pointless for a while. So it is. So it's good news. Cool, cool. It makes perfect sense. So my news story, very briefly. Well, actually, I've got two two quick things to do. So one, as unofficial space bloke of the podcast, is someone's flinging William Shatner into space. Hooray! <laughs> I don't think they're leaving him up there, which some people may say is a shame. Um, given some of his past behaviour, but uh, but yeah, so he's he's going up on I think it's Bezos's thing, yeah. the big the big phallus one, big penis. <laughs> Again, some some might say appropriate for William Shatner. Who knows? Um, but, but yeah, basically he's uh, he's the shat is why being don't you shot. Like, why don't you like the shat? Oh, he's. I'm not going to go into any of that. <laughs> oh, okay, Pe- people right. will know why window why window <laughs> Shatner. Good lord, I've got Windows 11 on the brain. Why William Shatner is occasionally uh, controversial. Um, obviously has a has an interesting. Uh, you know, back catalogue of work and stuff, which has its merits. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's a yeah. he's a bit of a controversial character sometimes. Oh, but right? anyway, I think he, 
Well, I think it's been covered, to be honest, if you go Google oh, it. But... <laughs> I, don't know, I can Google that now. Yeah, but basically he's uh, he's going up. So he's going to be the oldest person in space, I think, which is interesting, isn't it? So he's going going up on the same sightseeing tour that, that Bezos himself did. It was supposed to happen, we were recording on the 11th of October. It was supposed to happen yesterday, I think it was, but it got delayed mm. by wind. So uh, there you go. <laughs> so he might be being flung into space today. Who knows? But yeah, good, good luck to him. And the second thing is just a brief announcement. So we've got a new joiner. Um, Again, so a chap called Ross. So Edgar, our previous sales lead, moved on, but Ross has joined us to take over um, that particular role. So welcome to him, and we'll get him on the podcast at some point. Welcome, Ross. Welcome, Indeed. Ross. Yeah, can't wait. So with that, all that said, let's do uh, dive into this week's main topic. Uh, so Will, you're going to be leading on this today. So this is modern supply chains and blockchain. So following on from blockchain-related stuff we covered in previous episodes. Indeed. So we've talked previously, I think in our ethics series about sustainable supply chains and the hypocrisy. That's why it was, it was part of Is it of possible life. to be good in the modern world? Yeah, that was what it was, wasn't it? Hmm. Exactly, yeah. I've done for one of our clients as well a presentation on a digital sandwich, <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which stay with me, which, which highlights <laughs> digital sandwiches was the title of the presentation. It is related. One, it highlights the ridiculous amount of ingredients that goes into a modern cheese and pickle sandwich. Oh, this is a literal sandwich. Yeah, right, okay. a literal sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. As in what you'd have for lunch. <laughs> yeah. The ridiculous amounts of ingredients goes into a modern cheese and pickle sandwich. And actually, if you do care about what goes into, into your body, how you can understand the ingredients, whether it's, done in, whether it's going to do you any damage, where that ingredients has come from, how supply chains can help in that, specifically how modern supply chains using blockchain can help that. As an aside, I think we did a while back a recommendation on a guy that took six months. Remember this? He took six months and $1,500 to make a sandwich from scratch. I can't remember what episode it yeah, I can't remember what episode it yeah. was now, but it was quite a few back. But yes, you did do a recommendation on the uh, make make everything. I think it was, wasn't it? Make everything TV. Make or something. everything TV exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly yeah. 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 So I suppose it shows it is complex to make a sandwich. So I'm not undermining the process of making a sandwich, but there are a lot of ingredients going into it, and uh, they come from those ingredients come from all around the world, and we are no we we don't know where they come from or the journey they've. They've had so I thought. Well, I'm going to pick one ingredient from a cheese and pickle sandwich and see if I can find out the providence of that particular ingredient. What ingredient do you think I picked from a cheese and pickle sandwich? Any cheese. Ideas? cheese. <laughs> no, calcium propionate. Oh god, it's like a petrol yeah. station one, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's a is, no, hang on, I can't is, say that. I can't say no, no, you can't say it. I'm gonna make no, sorry, apology, apologies to Ginsters. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry. It could have been throw, that and it could not have been that. Yeah, I didn't so mean to throw from, shade at any particular from, sandwich from manufacturer, sorry. So calcium propionate, apparently it prevents fungus in pickle, which is which is important. <laughs> I don't know if you've had Bradston pickle Sounds before. Nutritious. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, well, how can I find out where this particular ingredient's come from? So I went on to the the Branston website, and they've got a chatbot on the Branston Mm -hmm. website. I feel really sorry for the, just as an aside, I feel very sorry for the person that discovered that, because that's never going to be a chat-up line, is it? What did you do in the field of science? (laughs) Oh, I discovered calcium propionate, or whatever the heck it's called. (laughs) Propionate, yeah. Yeah. It prevents fungus in pickle. Yeah, no, sorry, mate. (laughs) Okay, see ya. (laughs) Oh, I just got to go to the loo. Yeah. So I asked the brand chat, but for, uh, 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 and they didn't answer. I phoned them up, 
Yeah, to Did ask, you? and they had no. yeah, and they had no idea <laughs> what I was talking about, and thought it was a prank call anyway. <laughs> so I, I had to. That way, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did your cheery demeanour not convince them? <laughs> <laughs> so I I googled as we all do. Apparently, calcium propionate is is made across the world in huge manufacturing facilities, but it's mostly made in China. But I was unable to pinpoint exactly where calcium propionate for my cheese and pickle sandwich for a vendor that I won't mention mm. came from. So I have no idea one of the organization it came from. And if it was from a particular organization, I have no idea of the credentials behind the production of calcium propionate. And the organization has no accountability to me either. And in fact, companies within a supply chain to make any kind of product, especially by cheese, and I'm using cheese and pickle sandwiches as, as an example. It's, they're all, and there are many companies in a supply chain. If you think about the amount of ingredients in cheese and pickle sandwich, they're all shielded within the kind of murky supply chain, mm. probably through other layers of reselling upon reselling upon reseller. And no one is really accountable to, to, to me, the customer. And you'll find that actually within Branston itself, the company, they probably don't know the companies through the mm. reselling that are involved in their own supply chain to make their own cheese and to make their own pickle. And I am picking on, <laughs> I, I am picking on, picking on a, a particular van, uh, vendor here. In terms Do you of not Branston. like Branston or something? <laughs> I love Branston. I love that. Hence why I chose it. Ah. They're not going to like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to help you, Branston. Mm. I'm trying to help you. You know, Branston s- started. What, 19, here's, here's a bit, here's some fact for you about Branston. 1922, in a village called Branston, which is near Burton-upon-Trent in Staffordshire. In um, England. And, and in England, sorry, in England, yeah. yeah. And in fact, actually, it's not in England where, where the actual recipe was originated from. It was in India and obviously then nicked by the British in their sort of general theft of everything uh, during <laughs> colonial times um, and then they took a fancy to. Yeah. Well, to be fair, if you did discover Branston pickle, you might as well nick it because it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> the recipe is fantastic. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, great stuff. They, the, they, Branston were then subsequently owned by a company called Cross and Blackwell. Do you remember? Do you remember Cross and Blackwell? I do. Yeah, yeah and I then do. Cross, mm-hmm. Cross and Blackwell was flogged. Uh, they flogged off some of their brands, including Branston pickle and Branston, to a company called Nestle. Um, which oh we yeah. Know. And now Cross, Cross and Blackwell is now owned by an American outfit. And Branston is now uh, it's now ended up being owned by a Japanese group who who are a huge manufacturing distributor. You can just see the 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 different levels of you know different layers of companies as they as they sell different brands and they're bit and they're bought by other companies. Owning companies most of the time go to great lengths to protect to protect their brand. So the history of Branston and its origins is important, but guaranteed behind the scenes of the marketing, they're going to be, you know, acquisition of companies, acquisition of yeah. brands. They're going to consolidate, you know, they want to make money ultimately. So they're going to consolidate their supply chains. They're going to use their existing supply chains. That's no bad thing though, right? In theory. I mean, surely, yeah, I mean, efficiency within supply chains is an important thing that companies need to do, which I suppose brings us on, I'm assuming, to the to the sort of blockchain element and the accountability within those supply chains. But I guess it's worth saying there's nothing inherently wrong with trying to be as efficient as possible in the way that you produce your products, I suppose. In fact, it should probably be incentivized in some ways because it's better for the environment and everything else if you're not wasteful. 
within that process. Absolutely, yeah. It's, I suppose it's not about driving out efficiencies of the supply chain. That is a, a well-known thing. And, uh, you know, supply, there is arguments, actually, that supply chains can become too efficient and, then in fact, become too fragile. And I suppose there's examples of that within Britain today in terms of shortage of particular supplies. But it's not really about that. It's more about, actually, even if you got to understand the supply chain of Branston, for example, and all the different companies that are involved, as soon as they're acquired, you, you know, that's sort of thrown out the window and potentially you're the supply chain of a, of a company that you know nothing about, a huge mm. multinational, you're, you know, their supply chains are probably going to take mm. over the original supply chains. So you're sort of back to square one and say, mm-hmm. well, who is this company that's bought my favorite brand, Branston Pickle? What supply chains are they using? What companies are they using? What are, you know, how ethical are those particular companies? What damage do those companies do to the, to the environment? So, uh, so how do you start with all of this then? Where do you get the sort of the answers to this supply chain problem? Is this where we're coming to the blockchain angle? So I think the answer is, it, it, one of the answers to this is blockchain. And a blockchain is, I think we've talked about blockchain before. It's the technology yeah. as, you know, that underpins Bitcoin. I'm sure I had some somewhere on some computer. <laughs> and, and it provides, blockchain provides the transparency, if you like, of Who's involved in your product? Who are the suppliers that are involved in your product that went to make your product? And it's the and it's and it's any any company that's involved in that com- in that in that supply chain will be in, involved in the in blockchain. So it's simply a ledger, if you like, of all the transactions and all the suppliers behind that transaction that are involved in making that product. And that blockchain is distributed across multiple nodes or multiple computers. Uh, and and that each transaction is related to the previous transaction through a technique called hashing, which means that if something changes previously in that ledger, in those transactions, that it automatically invalidates everything else. Yeah? Mm. It's really evident that someone's gone in and try and change a particular transaction. It's a whole distributed thing, isn't it? So, so just to recap what we said in the previous episode very briefly. So essentially, because everybody has got a copy of the same ledger and they're all updated at the same time, one person can't forge it somewhere because everyone else's ledgers will all show the discrepancy with that. So it's very, very difficult for somebody to falsify stuff because everyone has a copy. But they're also significantly slower and there are various other problems with with having a blockchain type ledger system. But we, we can go into those later maybe. But essentially that's it. You know, you you have this distributed record and because everyone has a copy of the record, there is no one central copy to tamper with, essentially. And and if everybody in your supply chain was on the blockchain, you'd be able to trace all of those different elements. So if you were after your, whatever that ingredient was called that you were trying to chase down, you could go and that's the one. Yeah. I'm not, I'm still not going to try and pronounce it again. You could basically (laughs) uh, look up its, um, its entry in the blockchain and then see what it was connected to. Is that essentially what you're saying with this? Exactly. Those, I mean, those wanting, those wanting to corruptly change transactions would have to do so for every transaction in the chain across every copy of that ledger that's involved in, in all the computers that, that are part of that particular blockchain. And I, you know, that that has the advantage that it's really, really difficult to change that and to corruptly change that. So you can guarantee, you know, you, you're guaranteed who's involved in that supply chain. It's immutable. The information's immutable. It's not going to change. But but obviously then, you know, there are disadvantages to that in terms of if you've got a copy, you know, if every every computer in in a blockchain has a copy of the ledger, you know, that 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 has 
significant amounts of computer processing power involved and all the disadvantages that that was had. And I think that's in the news as well. So blockchain, so yeah, so ultimately key takeaways, blockchain, it's a ledger, which is basically a record of all the transactions that are involved in the production of your cheese and pickle sandwich. And that, that, that ledger is distributed across a network. So all computers that can talk to each other, network being all computers that talk to each other, that ledger is distributed across every single one of that computer, which means there's no single authority. You know, like, for example, with money, uh, there's banks that are single authority for money. Actually, everyone participating in that blockchain is an authority. Yeah, it's, it's, it's distributed. And because it's distributed, you need consensus. So when a new, when something's added to that blockchain, so if a new supplier, for example, wanted to add, be added to a supply chain, there would need to be consensus amongst everyone participating in that blockchain to add that particular new supplier. You couldn't just, you know, you couldn't resell, you couldn't sort of offload, like in a supply chain, I, I produce in calcium propionate, I'm now going to offload that to a, some, some other supplier and that other supplier has a dodgy environmental track record, for example. Yeah? You couldn't do that because you'd need consensus amongst every single person participating in that blockchain. But most of that consensus stuff is done automatically, right, within the, the blockchain itself. So a, a lot of it is about majority rule as well, I suppose that's also worth saying. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the thing mm-hmm. is that y- the... The consensus that we're talking about is not tying up vast amounts of manpower to make decisions on whether or not something should become part of the blockchain. A lot of that is done automatically within the systems. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And how practical would that be from a business perspective? I think it can be practical, I suppose, from a business perspective. There are two types of, there are two types of blockchain, and maybe this answers your question, JK. <laughs> Wait till you hear the name of them. Is, <laughs> <laughs> might make your eyes glaze a, over. <laughs> There's a there's a blockchain that is that is public. So like Bitcoin, for example, yeah, where everyone yeah. can participate. Everyone can participate mm. is yeah. uh, in terms of consensus. And there's blockchains that are private, uh, because obviously, from a business point of view, you don't. Sometimes you don't want you know your secrets, yeah. your IPR available to the to the general public domain. But you do want to reach consensus on things. Yeah, mm. compliance, for example, you want to release a product. And a product goes through many different steps, but you want to guarantee, you want to make sure that certain steps have been done mm. by the right people, done in the right way. Yeah, a blockchain would be perfect for that in terms of guaranteeing mm. that these steps are, you know, a, a consensus or accreditation on something, or it's been through testing or whatever, whatever the different steps are. So you could have a private blockchain for that. Mm. Um, mm. Ethereum, Fabric, and Hyperledger fabric for those who care. Yeah, so Hyperledger is the the private one, isn't it? And Ethereum is the Hyper, yeah. is the public one. And that's interesting cool. because essentially the the problem that you've got with a lot of this stuff with with blockchain is that, as we'll mention, you there's problems with the amount of compute you need, the amount of energy that's consumed in order to keep updating all these ledgers. Eventually, they grow to a size because in theory you'd have everything in one giant ledger, right? I mean, if you could just have one big mm. public one rather than lots of little ones. That gets away from one of the major reasons that blockchains are are popular at the moment and kind of flavor of the month, which is that it's sort of decentralized and, and you don't have silos in the same way that you used to. So there's a lot of criticism coming in at the moment for startup companies that are popping up offering their own separate blockchains for various different niche kind of use cases, because the problem with that is it's mm-hmm. not all on one big 
thing and you've just got lots and lots and lots of separate blockchains and that kind of defeats the point of a great big ledger that everybody's got you know where in theory if you bung everything in it then eventually you kind of get to a tipping point doing that where it's so big and it's so unwieldy that it becomes very very difficult to kind of process that ginormous ledger there's various trade-offs with blockchain that we probably don't have time to do full justice to now and the as i mentioned in the episode when we talked about how fast they are as well there there are problems with speed so particularly for things like uh, financial systems where you want to process millions of transactions a second or whatever it might be blockchains struggle with that because you have to propagate the ledger in every single transaction to every single node that's out there they're also less resilient to shocks as well so if you are particularly in finance systems if you've got a finance based blockchain like the one that underpins bitcoin in theory, and we'll get into regulation, I guess, a bit more in a second, but in theory, you know, they should be subject to the same financial regulation that everything else is, which means you should stress test the systems because, as we saw with the 2008 financial crash, systems which are not resilient to shocks in the markets are very, very dangerous things. But with blockchain, you mm. can't really proof them in quite the same way. So it, it, there are problems with blockchains. There's quite, you know, quite a lot of them popping up at the moment. But I guess the point of this example, really, I'm going back to Will's point, is are you saying, Will, basically, that if, if everybody was forced to be on or to prove the providence of their products through having a completed blockchain for all of the different ingredients, that would be a, a good thing? Is that kind of the main thrust of the argument you're making well, I think with this? So. Yeah, yeah. I think if you think... Despite the problems, I mean. Yeah. Despite the problems, yeah, which you've highlighted, yeah. Um, if you think mm -hmm. about the participants in a blockchain, they're not necessarily just the suppliers of ingredients, right? Which maybe go back to the governance of blockchains that you mentioned, Julian. Yeah. You could have, for example, accreditors or food standard agencies or welfare schemes, mm -hmm. you know, such as Reg Tractor or Marine Sustainability. Now, they could all be provided information in your blockchain, yeah, or they could all be certifying transactions from suppliers yeah so i did remember we did an article about decentralized identity yeah where a person claims to claim something yeah i'm going into the bar you go into a bar as a young as a as someone who you know a teenager and you're trying to uh bluff your way in to get to get some to get some alcohol <laughs> you have to present you have to present your id to to the to the person yeah but that id hmm. contains a host of information the only the person behind the bar wants to know whether you're over eighteen or not. That's the only. Was it sixty? I can't remember what it is. But it's, <laughs> God, you're, you're old. <laughs> you're, you're claiming. You're claiming to. You're claiming to be over sixteen, stroke eighteen. And the barber, <clears throat> the barber, just wants to know that. Yes or no? He doesn't want to know any other information. Twenty-one in some places, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> In some American states, I think. So, so suppliers claim that they're you know they 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 meet certain standards. Okay. In terms of either marine sustainability or that their their um their their food their meat follows welfare schemes for the animals, you know you have that red tractor mm. scheme and all the rest of it. Now it could be that red tractor or marine sustainability organisations or whatever are signing those particular transactions, saying yes, we guarantee, yeah, because we are the authority of these particular standards. We guarantee these particular transactions from these particular suppliers are following this. And all that information is then trusted on that blockchain. Well, maybe as well, it's it's that it makes their job because right now they're doing that, right? So if you if you can satisfy a certain standard, you get to put a red tractor mark on the outside of your of your packaging, which for those who are not in the UK is basically just like a uh, a little badge that you can put on the front of your produce to say that it's been 
it's met a particular type of food standard or welfare standard or whatever Red Tractor is all about. I don't actually know that specific one. There are other ones like the British Kite Mark, which says that a product meets safety standards. There are ones for all sorts of different things, basically. They're just badges that say they've been accredited to a particular standard. But essentially, the way they do that at the moment is they go and inspect stuff and, and they go and you know send a person out to have a look around the factory and they go and check that you know the animals are happy in their barns or whatever. In theory, if you had this blockchain in place for all of the different ingredients and stuff, they'd have a wealth of additional information or, or, more, or more verified information to work from without needing to send people out, I suppose, wouldn't they? So, so the blockchain there could provide an enormous benefit because if, if someone's on that blockchain and you can go and investigate the suppliers they deal with and what have you in a more automated way, in theory, you've got a lot more data to process if you're going to dish out an accreditation or something like that. Exactly. And if you think about where globalization, where each ingredient now just comes from across the globe, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It relies on, at the moment, it will rely on a trade agreement, won't it, I suppose, between different countries to say, yes, you know, yeah. we're going to allow... We're going to allow this. We're going to allow this kind of, you know, we're going to allow chlorinated chicken from <laughs> from the US or for, or whatever it would be, you know. And that's written in trade laws. Trade laws take years and years and years. These kind mm. of blockchains, these kind of, you know, signed transactions between suppliers, where you're just saying, yes, it, this is the providence, this is what we do, and this is how it's guaranteed. It it just negates the need for these kind of trade laws. It's something you could just set up immediately within your. Within, within all your different suppliers and make it visible then to other suppliers, the ultimate company that sells a product, Branston, yeah, and you as a customer as well. It definitely allows things to be more traceable, but I think particularly in the examples of food and, and things like that, you are, you are still relying, in fact, whereas right now you're relying on the company, that, the country that signed the trade deal to inspect the people to make sure they're adhering to the terms, you know, to, to make sure they're you know, ethically rearing their cattle or whatever. Just being on the blockchain doesn't change the need to do that inspection. It just changes potentially who needs to do it and how. And it changes how easy it is to trace back to that supplier, I suppose, back down to the individual yeah. farm or whatever. So it's more that it gives you greater transparency down to a lower level of detail more easily, I suppose, than it means that you can be sure that anybody who's on the blockchain is telling the truth. Sounds like it's a useful mechanism to show transparency of other criteria as well whether um certain things are healthy for you in terms mm. of a blockchain of the different components of sugar levels or cholesterol in certain foods as well so there's a prob probably even different markets through which you could apply this for it to uh, make money for the companies that are trying to kind of reduce the efforts and their leaner supply chains to kind of make it easier more efficient for them to get this product from source to shelves you know the uh, just final point yeah yeah you know the the color schemes for ingredients you know red amber green or so sorry mm. for fat or sugars or carbohydrates and you can just look instantly at it and say okay this is green for calories i'm going to buy this sandwich um, really useful. You potentially, you know, if you're armed with inf the, the information and you can guarantee the information, you can report on that information in, in lots of different ways. You could have a color scheme for, you know, how the impact on the environment this product's mm. had, you know, yeah. red, red yeah. amber green. Yeah, or miles traveled, red amber green, or, mm. or do you know what I mean? Or impact to people, good point. red amber yeah. green. So, it's, you know, there's if you've got the data, if the data is guaranteed to be the, the version, the, 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 the single version of the truth, you can report on it in lots of different and ingenious ways.
Imagine if you could personalize your blockchain, the things that matter to you, as in I care about yeah, these criteria. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you, can, great. you can personalize how you search on them, I think, but I guess that's probably a... A topic for another time. Can I can I just finish with calcium propropionate? Oh, of course actually. you. Yeah, because that can, was yes. that let's, was let's finish with it and yeah. then never mention it ever again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so actually, it, there is statistic, it's statistically significant that actually it alters the behaviour of children who've consumed it. So oh, go. good. Would you want to know about that yeah. when you eat your cheese and pickle sandwich? Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Definitely. Wow. Okay. So um, don't give the kids Branson, I guess. Actually, no, maybe you do. I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that at all. <laughs> uh, please don't sue us, Branston. Anyway, um, let's move on to recommendations. Number one being don't diss Branston, I suppose. JK, did you want to go first with your recommendation this week? Yeah, happy to do that. So recently, I've been driving into London more regularly than previously. And I've been using the Just Park app to find secure parking at the click of a button on my phone. And I really recommend it. I think it's a really good app. It gives you numbers, a number of different options in any location in London. It probably does other cities as well, but I've only used it for London. And it tells you the different prices. It gives you pictures of the location, how to enter, how to exit, uh, security information, whether it, there's CCTV cameras there and all that kind of stuff. So I've been using it and I think it's really, really easy to use and it's quite a friendly app and the pricing seems good on it as well so uh, yeah just wanted to share that with you all why are you driving to london so i guess two reasons one is because it's cheaper um the the, the network rail kind of prices have just shot up for anybody going for a, a random day in london if that makes sense so if i'm going just for one day it's cheaper for me to drive than it is to buy a ticket because the cost of a ticket is like three times as much and secondly because of covid i guess i'm reducing my risk of interacting with people ah cool cool okay that's a good record uh will did you want to go next with yours so a 23andme app which is a health and ancestry okay <laughs> ancestry. yeah i think i've seen that advertised personal genetic kit spit and go oh <laughs> What the hell? So, you Are know, we talking about the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'd say um, something in uh, as MIT magazine piqued my interest, which is a Scripps Research Institute, a sort of an institute that probably no one's ever heard of, and I hadn't heard of it. Um, it's a world leading institute for, for biosciences to find treatments to the world's most pressing needs. They partnered with, with 23andMe app to collect and analyze data a genome data from individuals so it's like genome crowdsourcing you know freely give up data to organizations for their own garious malicious needs actually this is something to give my data to to research to hopefully help these particular institutes find treatments for for genetic illnesses and things like that so they're, they're looking for lots of people to contribute to that and also it's quite interesting health and uh, these personal genetic kits in that it shows your ancestry you know if you've got a bit of roman blood in you or whatever which is which is fun and it also mm. it, which can be good and can be bad so you got to treat it with care <laughs> it will show it shows your genetic tendency to uh, traits for certain certain illnesses you know i was about to say are they sending all this to your insurance company <laughs> Well, well, yes, yeah. I mean, there is that. Hence, why treat it with care, and also, do you want to know this kind of information? Mm. If you're if you're anxious about these things, it does more mm. harm than good to know about certain things. But also, I always think, 
you know, having information is is good because you can then deal with it appropriately. You know, if you don't know, then you can't deal with it. And if you do know, then there's different avenues around healthy choices and and goals and exercise and all the rest of it, and something to be aware of as well. Um, but ultimately, it's there to to as a kind of big crowd genetic uh, genome crowdsourcing to to help this organisation, Scripps Research Institute. So. Very cool. Okay, so my recommendation, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably quite topical for this week, I suppose, given all the chat about sandwiches, is baking your own bread. <laughs> so, um, awesome. so I've got into this recently. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of it. Mm. Uh, so I do I do a little sort of foodie uh, Instagram account thing anyway, which is all to do with barbecue cooking. But I started making bread because I'm in I'm I'm on a quest to develop the perfect sort of uh, brioche roll for burgers and things like that, or, or rather, you know, learn to to make something passable, I suppose. And because I bought a pizza oven recently, which is fired with the wooden charcoal, which I've been learning to make pizza dough. I just kind of got into that whole process. And so I thought, well, why don't I try making my own bread, actually? Because when you look at the ingredients list on the side of a packet of bread from the supermarket, you know, like a loaf or something, again, you've got your friend and mine, Calcium Pro, whatever the heck it is, and uh, and all the other mm. things on there that we always talking about earlier on in the episode. And it's pretty grim, whereas the stuff that I make is flour, water, salt, and yeast, and that's it. That's all that's in there. So literally nothing else. And that is is good. And also, it's it's pretty delicious. And once you get into the swing of it, it doesn't take that long. So um, I, yeah, I, I was, I've always been one of those people who's thought of making things like bread as an incredibly, you know, sort of mystic art that only some master baker who's been studying for, you know, for, for years can do. But actually, it's incredibly easy. It just takes a little bit of time. You've got to, you know, you've got to let it rise and knock it back and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's good fun. And it's quite therapeutic in a weird sort of way, kneading bread. Um, and stuff. I do sometimes. I do it in a um, stand mixer as well. If you can't be bothered with all the kneading and stuff, and the science behind it's quite interesting about gluten and all that kind of thing. So yeah, worth a go. I bought two loaf tins from Tesco's, which cost me three quid each. Though it's not particularly expensive. You just basically need that and a bag of flour and some yeast and stuff in an oven. But yeah, uh, and there's huge amounts of tutorials online on uh, on YouTube. So that's how I got into it. And you, then you can just kind of experiment from there. So. If you've never done it, give it a go. It's quite good fun. And also kids like it. So my three-year-old the other day was there sort of trying to help me with the dough and that sort of stuff, standing on a little step. Got quite a cute picture of that. So, um, yeah, give it a go if you've never made bread. It's not as hard as you think. Awesome. Yeah. So And it doesn't have all the nasty stuff in it that you'd get otherwise, and you don't need a blockchain to work that out because you bought the ingredients yourself. So (laughs) where's the flour come from? Don't, don't. don't. Let's let's, let's not start that again. Anyway, so I think that's the show, guys. Thanks very much. Um, So thank you to everybody who's out there listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you're more than welcome to do so. We'd love to hear from you. We are on uh, ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod at ddklimited.com. We're also available on Twitter. If you want to give us a little tweet or, or get in touch with us that way. So we are at DDK Limited. That's at DDK Limited with Limited spelled out in full. And then finally, if you want to get us on LinkedIn, we are Dalton Day Candola. So it just remains to say a big thank you to Will and JK again. Thanks for this week, Will, doing the the main topic. And um, we'll chat to you guys again in a couple of weeks. Or a month. Sorry, in a month. (laughs) Thanks very much. Cheers.